Welcome to the Hero Hut podcast, bringing you stories of service. On this episode, we're doing another partner spotlight as we speak with Miranda Briggs from Fight the War Within. And that organization is a really great example of how mental health and community building and finding a purpose and a way to give back all kind of go hand in hand, which is also a guiding principle to how the Hero Hut views our mission. So here's that conversation with Jake and Miranda. And I'm joined by Miranda Briggs, who's the founder of Fight the War Within, based out of Savannah, Georgia. Miranda, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Hey, Jacob. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Hero Hut was just down in Savannah last weekend. We were at the Corn Ferry Tour at the landings, enjoying some golf and helping some veterans out there. Uh, but Fight the War Within was doing other things in Savannah. I think it really speaks to the strength of the veterans community down there. Could you tell us about what Fight the War Within was doing last weekend? Yes. So we we're really glad that one of our board members, um, Amy Hedrick, was able to see you guys on Sunday. Um, but we, we do quarterly events. So last Saturday, we were hosting a teen adventure at the Elks Lodge. And that's an initiative we do quarterly to bring teenagers together in our area to get out of the house, meet other teens, um, have fun, and then parents can kind of peer, uh, peer network and support and be able to talk about, you know, what our teens are going through. And then on Sunday, uh, every month, we do a wild walk, we do 2.2 miles, uh, signifying the 22 and above veterans and service members, we are losing a day to suicide. Uh, we joined up with Tybee Beach Cleanup, and we did a 2.2 mile beach cleanup on Sunday out at Tybee. So that was, that was awesome. And we definitely want to do more of those as the summer season uh, approaches. Yeah, that sounds like a great event, combining community with also doing something nice for the environment. It's really cool to see that. So could you talk us through, uh, I want to start at the beginning of your story, and, and I know it involves your husband, Garrett. Could you talk us through how you met your husband and how you came into the military community? Yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. So this was 2013. Um, I met my husband on online dating. And uh, this was back when online dating wasn't like, I guess, as sketchy as, you know, now, back then, it was like match.com and eHarmony, like it, it was like becoming a thing. Um, we met on online dating and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a mechanic and I'm out of town for work. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's message on here for a little bit. This is kind of weird, you know, and uh, a couple weeks go by and, you know, we decided to meet up and say hi. And first date was great. Awesome. Second date, we go to meet up and he's like, I have to tell you something. I wasn't totally honest. And I'm like, Oh, gosh, you're married. You have five kids. Like, what's the you know, what's the story? And uh, he's like, No, so I am a mechanic, like I'm a I'm a licensed mechanic. But that's not what I do for a living anymore. I'm like, Okay, what's going on? He's like, I'm an army ranger. I just got back from Afghanistan. So oh, wow. I was like, No, the <laughs> rangers, uh, you know, have a little bit of a reputation sometimes being party boys. And uh, causing a lot of trouble and ruckus. So uh, it was a it was a big lesson to me to not judge a book by its cover because uh, Garrett was very, very different from I think the run of the mill ranger and what they can be. So uh, from there, um, I knew he was going to be a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And you were living in Savannah at the time? Yes. So I, I had actually just relocated to Savannah at that time. I was a career firefighter. So I was about to get started with um, the initial job training and everything. Oh, cool. I like that Fight the War Within combines veterans and first responders. And I feel like there is a lot of overlap in those communities. 
Very much so. And th- there really isn't a lot of help for um, first responders out there, which is really, really sad because um, first responders go through a lot of struggles with mental health and post-traumatic stress from calls that they go on. So we hope that we can continue to create a bridge of where we're seeing gray zones to get people connected to help. There's a lot of help out there. It's just a matter of getting the word out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So back to Garrett's story, he's in the 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. I know those guys deploy a lot. So is that happening out of Savannah? How often was he deploying? Yeah, so um, Rangers in their training cycle is um, very unique compared to a lot of other jobs you can do in the military because, you know, you're, you're constantly training and then deploying and it's just, it feels like you're constantly away. And um, in a way that that's, that was something really positive in our relationship because I was a career firefighter. So I was on 2448s and as as being a rookie that year, sometimes I'd pick up overtime. So um, I think it was like a mutual respect of, Hey, you're doing this, I'm doing this. Um, and it, it made our relationship stronger. It's, it's really, really hard for military families in the Ranger community uh, for that kind of um, schedule that you have because your family uh, kind of feels like you're frozen in place while your loved one is, is doing everything that's focused around their career. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for Ranger families that are still active in serving, but for our veteran families too, um, it's something you definitely have to adapt to. Yeah. And they would go through shorter deployments, but pretty frequently, right? Multiple deployments per year. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Deployments were definitely more frequent. Um, Garrett didn't deploy again after he came home. He was actually injured in Afghanistan. So uh, he was deemed non-deployable after he came home. So that um, that transition of him getting two surgeries that failed ultimately and um, going through that struggle really contributed to a lot of his post-traumatic stress and his transition to the civilian world. And we see a lot of that in our special forces community where you know, you're trying to suck it up and, you know, you don't really want to talk about, you know, that physical pain because it's just going to get, it's going to uncover the emotional pain that's underneath it. And um, that's something that I see a lot more of now than I did back when we first came into each other's lives is um, you, you definitely have a different mindset when you're serving there. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how he got hurt, what the injury was? Yeah. So he um, actually, it, it was, it was a pretty bad incident when they were overseas where um one of his good friends actually got hit and it, it, it obviously affected everybody. It was early on in there in that tour. Um, Garrett was really using the gym as an outlet. That was really his outlet to get it out of his system. Um, and he actually completely tore his pec, completely separated it. And Garrett was six foot seven and about 260 pounds at that time. So big, big, big guy. So to completely tear up, you know, your pec, that's, that's a, that's, pretty significant that you could be lifting that hard. So um, they attempted to repair it once, failed. They attempted it a second time and it failed again. So um, he was struggling with like muscle atrophy and, you know, it. you could tell that he was in a lot of pain. He wasn't able to go back into the gym at the capacity he wanted to. And I think it was, uh, it was like a reminder to him of why he went so hard in the gym that day, you know, what happened when he was overseas. And, you know, yes, those injuries are considered line of duty, but um, they don't connect those to combat. And I think that's that's a big part of the problem that we're seeing in the military and sometimes in the VA now is um, injuries and how they can affect people mental health wise as well. Yeah. And especially the connection between mental health and the physical. Right. And so you're using physical means to try to address the mental health struggles as well. And they really intersect with each other. So I think you're right to try to push for more recognition about those connections. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about when tragedy strikes? This is after Garrett is out of the military. When did he transition into the civilian world? And uh, can you talk a little bit about PTSD? Absolutely. So it, I mean, it really tied into his service where it started. And um, I think for a lot of families, you don't know everything that's going on with your service member. And I think for a lot of special forces families, it's like um, you're for, for, you know, the spouse, it's like you, you're the protector. You, a lot of guys try to separate that from, um, you know, their families that they, they want to have that protector mentality and they don't want to appear weak or they want to keep it separate because you're home and you're safe and they don't want to have to think about those things all the time. And, um, in the case of Garrett and me, that's absolutely how it was. Um, we had just really started dating when he got back from that deployment. And I remember saying to him, you know, I know it's not the same thing. It's not, I, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but, um, I've, I've been on some pretty bad accidents. I've been on some pretty bad things as, as a, as an EMT firefighter. So if you ever want to talk about your tort, you know, I'm here, you know, you're not going to traumatize me. Like, you know, you can talk to me if you need to. And you could tell he kind of blew me off. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I said to him at that time, you know, I, I think you need to go and get checked out by just your primary care. Like, just go see the doctor. You're having trouble sleeping. You're waking up with night sweats. Like it's okay to just go checked out, get checked out. So he kind of blew me off again. Um, I didn't know this until years down the line when I actually requested his medical records, just trying to look through things, trying to put together the dots. Um, I saw that he actually listened to me. He actually went into his primary care at that time. Um, he told his primary care what was going on. He said, Hey, I'm waking up. I'm having night sweats. I just got back from deployment. This is what's going on. And the primary care gave him sleeping medication and pushed him out the door. Wow. He didn't get a refer. I mean, he was showing classic symptoms at that time of, of PTSD and he um, pushed out the door with sleeping meds. So I really think that's when he started turning to the bottom of the bottle because he felt like for an army ranger, that was, that was screaming out. And he was just told that, Oh, it's fine. Just hush. Um, so from there, Garrett really was starting to drink heavy. So uh, he, he had several DUIs and his worst DUI is what led him out of his military career. Um, it was really, it was really, really horrible to see him go through what he was going through. When he transitioned to the civilian world, he was struggling to maintain employment, sobriety, um, had some bad experiences with the VA. So wasn't really getting stable care. And it, it really took him getting motivated to go back and get a stable job. And that was really when we found out we were having our daughter and he was just something in him changed. He was like, man, I have to do better. I have to, I have to be a good dad. And uh, he was really fortunate to get hired on with Nine Line Apparel here in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, they treated him incredible. I mean, within 30 days, he was um, promoted to a uh, inventory supervisor. And he was given a raise. He, I had never seen him be that full of life before and to feel like he had a mission again. And he was working with other veterans and service members and he felt like he was giving back. So they, they really helped him start to address some of what was going on with him. And he did make the decision to go back to the VA to establish care. And, um, I didn't really know how to take it. You know, like I knew he, I knew that he wanted to address the drinking and he wanted to get help, but I felt like I didn't want to pry too much. I felt like, um, it may discourage him from continuing to go, but he was really excited about it. He wanted to go on medication. Um, he wanted to keep seeing his counselor. He was being compliant. He was showing up to all his appointments. Um, and 
you know, I, I really thought that we were moving towards that direction of, Hey, I'm finally going to see him fully sober. I'm finally, you know, our daughter's going to come and things are, things are going to be better. So, um, Garrett got a third DUI about six weeks before our daughter was born. And it, it wasn't a horrible accident, like the one, you know, one, one of the other ones he had had, but it was enough that we were going to have to, he was going to have to go to court and we were kind of gearing up for that. So, um, I was really staying positive with him at that time. Like, Hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure it out. You know, little ones on the way. Um, and he seemed to be in an okay place at that time. Our daughter was born on January 16th of 2018 and Garrett ended his life in our home and on January 31st, 2018. So 15 days later, um, that was on the birth date of one seven five is January 31st. Yeah, I want to take it back to when he's first coming home with 175. It seems like that's an important part of this story. Um, had they just come back from Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Did it seem like his support network was still his drinking buddies? And so that was one way of coping? Um, I So I didn't, and again, I didn't realize this until I got his medical records and started talking to some people he served with, but there were a lot of guys that were, were starting to get in trouble with substances at that time. And I remember him talking about it, but it didn't really click. It was just like, Oh, it's a ranger thing. Um, but you know, there were injuries in purple hearts in that deployment. And I think that there were, I, I think that there were more than three that had, you know, definitely got disciplinary action for substances. And it, it didn't really click to me until later on that, these guys were screaming out for help. You know, they had come back and, and a lot of these guys, it was their first tour and um, difficult time to be deploying as a ranger. And I really think that stuck with him and not just him, but so many other service members. And they just didn't know how to process it because uh, resources aren't as readily available in the military. And there's a huge stigma about going to your primary care to try to get to a counselor or even to talk to your chaplain. Because if it's mission related, it is not always confidential. It's it's not guaranteed that that's not going to get back to your unit, especially when you're serving in a role like that. So I think um, a lot of these service members felt like they didn't know what to do or how to handle these overwhelming emotions. And that's why substances came into play. And it wasn't just him that was struggling with it. Yeah, it does seem like that is something where it's hard to talk to outsiders too. So if you have a group that you're comfortable with and this is the way they're socializing and this is the way they're getting through it, it's just tragic because a lot of times that's just masking the problem or that's just uh, making it worse in some cases, right? Adding obstacles. Um, So that's incredibly tough. How did you move on? I guess you don't really, you're, you're starting this foundation in Garrett's memory, right? That's right. We got our 501c3 on July 6th, 2020. So about two and a half years after he passed, we um, we had wanted to, I mean, it had been an idea, but it had been more of a, oh, maybe someday. Um, it definitely wasn't in the forefront of my mind. After he passed, um, I resigned from my career as a firefighter. It was just too much to go back to with the little one. I couldn't, um, there's no way I could have gone on a call, like what I responded to for his his death again. And I knew I was a liability. So I really struggled with um, figuring out what direction I was going to take and and giving up uh, my career as well. So that it was really hard. Um, but I think what really helped me push forward with it was when I ordered Garrett's records. And I ordered everything from when he was a ranger through the VA, through everything. And I learned so much from what I saw Um we hired the Peltor Law Group 
um, to actually file for wrongful death against the VA for Garrett. So we, we actually filed that last year and um, it, it is being reviewed right now. So we're, we're really hoping that his story can shed light on some of the gray zones and the gaps and what happens if a service member isn't just failed one time, but several times. I mean, you see it with his, it was very clear there, there was a, a system failure where he had reached out on different occasions and um, was turned the other way. So that's when I really kind of felt the call to action about forming the foundation formally. And I realized that he wasn't the only one. If these gray zones and these gaps are here for one service member, it is definitely here for others. So starting this, um, and I tell people this, I mean, honestly, starting this foundation has saved my life because losing him, there was so much guilt and there was so much that I was learning that I would just get so mad at myself. Like, how did I not know there were resources? How was I not following up with, you know, his care at the VA there, you know, I'm learning all these things I could have been doing and um, feeling like I was able to put that grief into something else makes me realize that there is purpose. And that's something that he would want. If one of his buddies that he served with called him and was going through a rough time, he would have gladly stopped everything to pick up that call. And um, a lot of those service members are still here fighting. And that's something that I have to carry on for him, for our family, but definitely for our daughter to to see that example and to see dad's life and service mattered. And and we're not going to have shame here attached to that because he does deserve honor for what he sacrificed for our nation and what he struggled with. And if, if, we can do anything to help someone else or avoid another family having a loss like ours, then we have to do it. We have to do it. Have you seen any progress in terms of people changing their minds about what constitutes a service related injury? Do you think that this is advocacy that's growing and building? We're getting there. I, I will definitely say we're getting there. It can be a really hot topic, especially in you know the Ranger and the special forces community. Um, I had put in for discharge upgrade, but I had actually gone back to apply for a purple heart for Garrett and um, it was rejected and I am appealing it with an attorney. Um, And it's hard, you know, it's really hard because I understand why, why service members feel a certain way about things, but I think a lot of ones that don't agree are because it hits a really sore spot. I think that almost everyone that has served in combat has lost someone or knows someone that has taken their life. And it, it brings back a lot for them because if you lose someone and you serve with them overseas, you realize that you're at risk and you realize that what you're going through is real too. So I think it hits a lot of sore spots in people. Um, but that's why we have to keep talking. It's, it's really difficult for a lot of surviving families to take a step back and analyze their loved one's life and service and death. And I understand why surviving families don't always come forwards and talk about it. But if you have documentation, you have records, if you have things that you can learn from, not every service member came forward to go to the links that Garrett did for getting help. So his story, I hope that it it can help save other people. And I hope that we can learn from it Um, because like his, his injury overseas definitely contributed to what he was going through. Um, I mean, that lack of recognition for what they went through overseas and then coming back home to not having support to be able to get mental health care when you're asking for it. um, That's not okay. That's not okay. And every service member deserves to know that they have options for mental health. You don't have to go through your primary care on base. You don't have to go through a chaplain. You can go through nonprofits. Um, There's there's several nonprofits that will actually 100% cover uh, counseling and they don't charge you a dime. They don't even ask for your insurance or unit or anything. So one that we work closely with is called Hicks Strong. They are out of New York 
Uh, they lost their son to the 22 a day epidemic in 2019 and he was active duty. So it really goes to show that um, there are some great programs in place that uh, you can reach out for your, for help. And we hope that we can break that stigma, but let service mem- members know the reality that you can reach out regardless of what job you do in the military rank, anything like that, you can get help outside of your chain of command. Yeah, it's excellent to see that you have two lines of effort going. One is to speak up about this incredible story and to reduce the stigma around it. But the other is recognizing that stigma and recognizing that the resources aren't where they are right right now, where they need to be. And there are other nonprofits that are willing to step up and assist during this uh, the time being. Yes. And we need we need to come together. You know, like I, I don't always um, it's hard because, you know, I do have a lot of anger and hurt towards the VA because of Garrett's loss. I do. Um, I know that the VA is great in several areas of the country. Like I, I've heard some awesome stories, you know, in, in our area here, not always. And I really hope that by telling our stories, we can illuminate where these shortcomings are happening so that the VA can make adjustments and that they can learn from the failures that they have had in service members that they have not been able to get to give help that needed it the most. Um, So until the VA, it's going to take time. That's not an overnight process. But until we can get the VA improved um, and taking the next steps, I mean, I hope that we are all put out of business. I hope that all of us do not not have a purpose in the future, but we have to come together. um, And we really have to be able to link up and, and put egos and everything to the side so that we can create a community, not just in one city, not just here in Savannah, but across the nation. Um, COVID was so incredible because it, it changed a lot for the nonprofit world. You know, people couldn't fundraise, they couldn't do events. Um, and people really turned to social media, which is right in the middle of when we became official. So um, because of that, we thought we were just going to do little events in Savannah. Wrong, wrong, wrong. We um, Social media started ke- connecting us to places that we had never been. We, we didn't know anything about. So um, over the last two months, we've we've gotten calls from veterans in Alaska, some from Texas, we've Nebraska, California, um, places we never thought that we would ever have anything to do with. And um, those those calls are significant because, you know, it doesn't take anything for us to sit down and look through our database or reach out or, hey, we've networked with this organization. Let's see if they have a chapter there. Um, and that's how it needs to be. You know, we need to be able to put our differences aside to be able to create those bridges so that we can just call one another and get people help as fast as we can, because mental health is not a wait five to seven business days to get help. Mental health is if someone has the courage to say, I'm not okay. It took them a long time of screaming in their own head to get it out. So if someone is finally asking for help, that's something that needs to be addressed immediately. And um, it's going to take more of us. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's fascinating to hear about all the unintended consequences of COVID and how people are adapting to it. And it sounds like this is a big positive role for social media to connect nonprofits and connect people who are looking for the message that you're sending out and might not have it in their local area. So that's great to hear. Yes. And I mean, we're seeing so many advancements in telehealth too, for people, you know, like counseling for some people that anxiety and that's, you know, there's a lot of pride and things attached to that with, with telehealth, I think a lot of people are more comfortable doing that from home. And there's some awesome, awesome places. Emory in Atlanta, Georgia is now doing free telehealth for veterans for mental health, which was incredible. They put that out this last year. Um, Gary Sinise is making their foundations doing some incredible connections as well. 
Uh, the Cohen Clinic and Cornerstone teamed up and they're doing an awesome, um, awesome program for free virtual counseling as well. So um, we let people know that no matter what part of the country they're in, there are organizations that help not just combat veterans, veterans, first responders, civilians, um, it just from all over, there's resources that are coming forward. And we really hope that those continue to be successful and stay. We really hope that it's not just to, as COVID, um, you know, as things start to open back up, those go away. We hope that those stay prevalent because more people are reaching out and we're seeing that through numbers through the, the crisis lines. I mean, those numbers have gone up so high. They've just skyrocketed for people calling in to get help. So um, there's a lot of helplines and things out there. And it's, it's vital that uh, we get the word out, which is, you know, when we connected with y'all, that's really what um, clicked was that's what you guys do is help get the word out to people. And um, I think that your organization is going to be able to really, really, really make a difference with that. The goal is to help with the networking. It's to provide a space where everyone can come together. And I think you're right that uh, the social media aspects should be a lasting change. And hopefully uh, that will only continue and just be augmented by events that we can have in person now. Uh, and so now that people are getting vaccinated and now that uh, the risks from gathering uh, due to COVID are reducing. Does Fight the War Within have any events on the horizon that you're planning now and that you're excited about? Yes, we're so amped. So today is actually the end of our first quarter for 2021. So um, we're still finalizing dates for our second quarter, um, but we have some really, really uh, cool ideas. So for quarterly events, we have a warrior women's group um, for our women that can come together and, uh, be able to talk, be able to feel comfortable, be able to open up, have that peer support, but, you know, spend time together. Uh, we have a group called dude things. Yes, it's called dude things. And I, the name's sticking. So we're going to keep it that way, but, um, it's a, it's a way that, you know, our guys can come together and just have guy time, just have space away, um, do something together as a group. So that's another one. Just and then we do our dudes. Dude things. And that's what we called it that I'm like, that's what you want to call it. I don't even care. Call it dude things, whatever. So we, we kept it like that. And then, um, we have our teen adventures as well. So every month we do a wild walk. It's 2.2 miles. Uh, the beach cleanup was such a hit. I really think we're going to add more of those in. Um, we've had an idea to do like a 2.2 mile paddleboard or kayak, um, adventure for one of the next ones this summer. Um, I think our dudes things is planning some ax throwing and to go see mortal Kombat for their next one. And I think our ladies are looking at doing like a brunch kind of get together, like self-care kind of thing. So, um, we're excited. To, that sounds to good. Yeah. It's a really diverse, uh, group of activities that you've assembled there. I'm curious about the beach cleanup. Did you find anything really nasty or anything that was kind of a cool oh. unexpected thing you found on the beach? It was so like, it was just so insane. The cigarette butts and straws, like how many there were out there. It was so gross. Um, just absolutely nuts. I mean, there were so many beach toys and stuff too. You'd be so surprised by people that just buy toys for the day at the shops and just like leave them there, which was nuts. So uh, Tybee Beach Cleanup is an organization. Every Sunday evening throughout the spring and the summer, they go out and do the cleanup that we did. Um, so we definitely want to see if we can link up with them more. And we definitely, with our events, want to start linking up with other groups. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whose name is on it, but, um, we really want to start trying to get other ones to link up with us, to create that community, to create more of that, that family. And that's really what people are missing when they get out of the military. Um, if they're active, whatever they're going through is people don't feel like they're connected. And, um, that's a part of mental health. That is definitely a part of mental health is not feeling like anybody's around that you can talk to. So 
Um, we create these events to hope that these conversations happen, to hope that people feel like they have a safe place and they have a family and they have people they know they can reach out to. Yeah, it's really important to reestablish those bonds of camaraderie that are forming almost naturally in the military. And then when you get out, you have to create those on your own. Uh, but this sounds like a great way to do that within your organization. Uh, so it sounds like you got some great stuff on the horizon. Uh, I'm curious for listeners, how can other people get involved if they want to participate uh, or if they want to contribute financially? How would you recommend that people get involved with Fight the War Within? Yeah, so we stay pretty active on our Instagram and our Facebook. So Fight the War Within, for both of those, you can find us. Um, our website is www.fightthewarwithin.org. Um, through there, you can see links to a lot of the things. Um, we have promo codes. We have one with Nine Line Apparel. Um, Live 20 gets you 20% off uh, your entire purchase, and we do get a portion of that back that supports our mission. Uh, 22 Sierra Coffee Company is another huge supporter of ours. Um, they have a blend of coffee dedicated to Garrett called Garrett's Blend. It's a dark roast. Um, they, they give us $2 back for everyone that is purchased. Um, and we also have a promo code 22FTWW, which gets you 10% off. So, um, and you can use that for Garrett's Blend as well. Um, and we also have our PayPal connected to that as well. If you, if you wanted to do a donation that way, and we love Facebook fundraisers um, as far as like birthday fundraisers, if you wanted to host one of those for us, um, those have really, really been helping. And also through Amazon, if you want to hook uh, your Amazon Prime account, you can do donations under Smiles to fight the war with them. We are set up to receive that as well. Great. So a host of different ways to get involved and, and everyone's got to wear clothes. So check out Nine Line. Everyone or a lot of people got to drink coffee in the morning. So what was that one? 22 Brew? 22 Sierra Coffee Company. You have Sierra. to check them out. They, um, Gosh, they, they support so many nonprofits that focus on ending veteran suicide. So on the back of their bags, they have it dedicated to someone that has lost their internal war. Um, they work with the Reverend Warriors. Um, they work with um, 22 Too Many. So there's several other groups that they're connecting with as well. Um, and these, the, the, all the donations that we receive are vital because we are 100% volunteer and we plan to always stay that way. We, we don't profit off this in any way, shape or form. Um, and that's hard. That's, it really speaks loudly for um, our incredible team of volunteers. And we have, you know, different focuses. We have our events people, we have our resource team, we have our outreach um, division. And um, it's really incredible to see all these people who have full-time jobs and kids and lives take a second if we put an SOS out to the resource group, hey, somebody reached out and, you know, and wherever and they're in crisis and, and we have to work together to try to help this person. Like uh, you, it's a special breed that can make time in a busy life to help others. So uh, we really, really appreciate all the help that we get. And we hope to, we hope to keep on doing what we're doing for as long as we need to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a great organization. So get out and support this. Uh, Miranda, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any last words, any shout outs from, uh, that you want to give to your team members? Oh my gosh. We have so many incredible team members. I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you, um, you know, Maureen McDermott, um, she's on our board. She's with Veterans United and she's, she's been an incredible, incredible person to get us connected. Um, Amy Hedrick, who is who y'all met over at, um, the landings. She's awesome. She really helps with outreach and she really specializes with our first responders, um, Jane Orr, she is our secretary. She is a um, police department veteran. She's also in the Army Reserve. She's a captain. Um, she's in St. Louis, but she does a lot of our behind-the-scenes work. Ashley Klubine is on our board. She's our director of technology. She built our website on our lunch break. Like she's 
amazing. And um, she does a lot of stuff that I don't know how she makes the time. She sits on like five different boards, but she'll make the time to update and adjust things um, as we need it. So we just, so many incredible people that take time out of their their day. And, you know, I try to, to, you know, illuminate to everybody how much of a difference it makes in other people's lives just to be there. Um, and just to show someone that you care, just to, just to show someone that um, you can listen to what they're going through. That's great to hear that there's such a vibrant community of volunteers to help support this organization. And it's great work. And we're happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Miranda, for coming on. That's Miranda Briggs from Fight the War Within. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Jacob. You're awesome. Thank you to Miranda for sharing that story with us. And for all of you out there for listening, definitely check out the great work that Fight the War Within is doing. Follow them on social, all the things. You'll find links in our show notes. And also make sure you're staying up to date with Hero Hut. We're pumping out a lot of new online content, gearing up for a action-packed summer of festivals and events. So keep an eye out for those. And we look forward to seeing you there.